two scriptures that are my main scriptures in line with our theme. Second, First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 to verse 8, and Matthew chapter 27, verse 34 to verse 37. I'm reading in the New King James Version. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 to verse 8. And I'm reading. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Can I hear an amen there? But I'm going to start in Matthew 27 and we'll come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 later on. Matthew 27 reads, And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say the place of a skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. And when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there, and they put up over his head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. When Jesus arrived at Golgotha, the Bible tells us that they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and then they proceeded to crucify him. Our theme for this Good Friday celebration is the mystery of the cross. I know this morning some of the things that I'm going to talk about might sound a little bit too dramatic. They may be a little bit, they may cause people to feel that we are being extreme in having to say these things. But it's important for us to really understand what happened almost 2,000 years ago? Gruesome as some of the details may be, but this is really what happened 2,000 years ago. See, according to the Jewish law, if a man was about to be executed, they could request a narcotic mingled together with wine. And as a result, this would help them alleviate the pain and in this instance, the pain of execution. And so that word gall in this verse, it refers to that special painkiller that was mingled together with wine, especially for this purpose. We read in Bible history and even in this verse that there was a group of kind women, just the way women do it, when they show compassion. And this kind women in Jerusalem, they would make their good deed and they would really help to mingle this gall. This was in a way to try and anesthetize the pain of the people who were dying, this horrific death on the cross. 
These women wanted to eliminate as much pain as possible. Eliminate as much misery as possible for the scores of people who have been crucified by the Romans. So they produced this homemade painkiller that Matthew tells us about in this verse. He was offered this gall, this anesthetic, on two occasions. Once before he was crucified and once while he was dying on the cross. This is in Matthew chapter 27, verse 34 and verse 48. And in both instances, Jesus turned it down. He refused the offer. He didn't want to drink it. For he knew that he wanted to fully consummate what God has sent him. Jesus wanted to fully consume this cup that the Father had given him to drink. Verse 35 tells us they crucified him. This word crucified in the language in which it was written in Greek is it's quite a, a very descriptive word. It describes an upright pointed stake that was used for the punishment of criminal, criminals. This word was used to describe those who were hung up, impaled, beheaded, and then publicly displayed. It was always used in connection with public ex execution. The point of hanging a criminal publicly was to bring further humiliation and additional punishment to the accused. We are told in reading Bible history that the Romans who were at the time the ones who were ruling, even when they had judged their own and sentenced their own, they would never sentence them to crucifixion. Only if they defied Caesar, and in accordance to them, if they felt the person had gone far, only in this instance. But they would dish out crucifixion for the other people of other nationalities. Crucifixion was indisputably one of the most cruelest ways, cruelest ways of dying. And not only that, one of the most barbaric forms of punishment in the ancient world. There's a Jewish historian by the name of Josephus Flavius. He describes crucifixion, and I quote, as the most wretched of deaths, end of quote. It was viewed with such horror that one in their letter who wrote by the name of Seneca, this is what he wrote. He said suicide was preferable to crucifixion, end of quote. Different parts of the world had different kinds of crucifixion. For instance, in the east, the victim was beheaded and then hung in public display. Among the Jews, the victim was first stoned to death and then hung on a tree. So when Jesus was hung on a tree, the Jews understood what was happening. Because in Deuteronomy 21 verse 22, it, it says, If a man has committed a sin worthy of death, and he is put to death, and thou will hang him on the tree, and his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, and thou shalt in no wise bury him that day. Then it says, for he that is hanged is accursed of God. So when Jesus was hung, they understood that he came under the curse of God. They understood. It wasn't just a nice thing. He came under the curse of God. So at the time when Jesus was crucified, this grueling act of crucifixion was entirely in the hands of the Roman authority. This punishment, as I said, was reserved for the most serious of offenders. 
usually for those who had committed some kind of treason or who had participated in some sponsored state terrorism. Because Israel hated the occupying Roman troops, there would be frequent insurrections and it would arise among the people. And as a deterrent, to stop people from participating in these revolts, crucifixion was regularly practiced in Jerusalem. So they would publicly crucify you and because they were saying you are attempting to overthrow the government and they were sending a strong signal to others that if you dare do what this man did, this is what is going to happen to you. Don't ever be tempted to follow in their steps. So once the offender reached this place of crucifixion and crucifixion was to occur, they would lay this person on a cross beam. Unlike the movies we see, when we see them carrying the cross, we see the cross, a a complete cross. But in those days, you would carry just the one beam, the cross beam, the one that goes horizontally. And you would carry this. And once you were crucified, they would put this thing down. They would place you there with your arm outstretched. And they would drive nails through you. 12.5 centimeters that would be driven through you. And when they drove the nails, it wasn't through the palm of your hands. They would drive the nails through your wrist on this cross beam. And after being nailed to the cross beam, they would hoist you up by rope and they would take this cross beam and drop it in the vertical post and drop it there. And when the crossbeam dropped into the groove, the victim suffered excruciating pain at his hands and wrists that were wrenched by the sudden jerking of motion. And then the weight of the victim would would cause the body to be pulled out of their arm sockets. Josephus writes that the Roman soldiers, and I quote, out of rage and hatred, they would amuse themselves by nailing their prisoners in different postures. Crucifixion was a vicious ordeal. So when the victim was nailed to his cross, the nails were driven through the wrists. Once the wrists were secured in place, their feet were next. First, the victim's legs would be positioned so that their feet pointed downwards with the sole pressed against the vertical coast post on which the victim was suspended. And then a long nail would be driven between the bones of the feet, lodged firmly enough between those bones to prevent you from tearing through the feet as the victim arched forward, gasping for breath. In order for the victim to breathe, he had to push himself up by his feet, which were nailed to the vertical beam. However, Because of the pressure on his feet, when it became unbearable, it wasn't possible for the victim to remain long in this position. So eventually he would collapse back in the hanging position. And as the victim pushed up and collapsed back, up again and down again and up again over a long period of time, his shoulders eventually became dislocated and they would pop out of their joints. Soon the out-of-joint shoulders were followed by the elbows and then the wrists. And then these various forms of dislocations. We are told historically 
cause the arms to be extended up to 22 centimeters longer than usual, resulting in terrible cramps in the victim's arm muscles and making it impossible for them to push themselves upwards any longer to breathe. And when he was finally too exhausted, he could no longer push himself upward on the nail lodged in his feet. The process of asphyxiation happened. Asphyxiation is a state or a process where you are deprived of oxygen. And as a result, you become unconscious or you die and you suffocate. Jesus experienced all this torture. When he dropped down with the full weight of his body on the nails that were driven through his wrists, it sent excruciating pain up his arms, registering horrific pain in his brain. Added to this torture was the agony caused by the constant grating of your back against the upward post because his back had been whipped the wounds were gaping and the back would scratch towards this post, along this post. And due to the extreme loss of blood and hyperventilation of the victim, they would begin to experience severe dehydration. And this is why when we read in John 19, 28, the Bible tells us that Jesus cried out, I thirst. Because after several hours of this torment, the, the, their heart would begin to fail. Next, the lungs would collapse and excess fluid would begin to fill the lining of the heart and the lungs, adding to the slow process of asphyxiation. And when the Roman soldiers came to determine whether or not Jesus was alive or dead, we read in the Bible, he thrust his spear into the side of Jesus. One expert points out that if Jesus had been alive when the soldier did this, the soldier would have heard a loud sucking sound caused by air being inhaled past the freshly made womb in the wound in the chest. But the Bible tells us that water and blood mixed together came pouring forth from the wound that the spear had made, evidence that the heart and the lungs of Jesus had shut down and they had been filled with fluid. This was enough to ensure and assure the soldier that Jesus had already died. But even more worse, it was customary for the Roman soldiers to break the lower leg bones of a person being crucified, making it impossible for the victim to push themselves upwards and to breathe and causing then asphyxiation not to come quicker. However, because of the blood and the water that gushed from Jesus' side, they already realized he's dead. And it was a fulfillment of prophecy that not even a single bone in my body would be broken. This is just a brief description. And this is exactly what Jesus experienced when he died on the cross. No wonder Paul says in Philippians 2.8, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. When you read it in the original language, the word even is emphasized. It dramatizes the point that Jesus lowered himself to such an extent that he died even when the death on the cross, he could have escaped it. He lowered himself to the most humiliating, debasing, shameful, painful method of death in the ancient world. Now you understand why the kind women of Jerusalem 
prepared this homemade painkiller. For those being crucified, the agony associated with crucifixion is the reason why they offered Jesus this goal once before crucifixion and again as he hung on the cross. Meanwhile, we read further in our scripture that the soldiers that were near the foot of the cross, they were enjoying this. They took his garments, parted his garments, cast lots over his garments. They didn't understand the great price of redemption that was being paid when Jesus hung on the cross, asphyxiating to death, his lungs filling with fluids so he couldn't breathe. According to Roman customs, the soldiers who carried out the crucifixion had a right to the victim's clothes. Jewish law, on the other hand, had required that the person being crucified should be stripped naked. So in both instances, Jesus was stripped naked and all his belongings were taken away from him. So here was Jesus hanging on the cross, completely open, completely naked before the world. That's why the pictures we see, they can't show us the horrific thing that happened on that day. And this was what was required. So Jesus is crucified and his clothes are being distributed. This distribution of clothes was made even cheaper by the soldiers who cast lots on the garment. John records that when they crucified Jesus, they took his garments and they made four parts. So in other words, every soldier took a part. So it's possible it was four soldiers, maybe more, but at least we know about four. One took the coat, one took the sim, one took the girdle, and then there was the, the big garment that Jesus used to wear. So this informs us that these soldiers who were present, who took the headgear, the sandals, the girdle, but then when they came to the fourth piece, which is called the talif, this is the outer garment that had fringes at the bottom, or a coat that is without seams, these coats were usually handmade. And they were beautiful garments. And because they are specifically handmade clothes, these coats were known to be very expensive. So the soldiers felt, we can't cut this. Let's rather cast lots over this. Now, you see in the picture that we showed here, that it's almost like when they cast lots, Nebuchadnezzar dies. That's not what happened. Nebuchadnezzar dies. Tell your neighbor, Nebuchadnezzar dies. Yeah. But what happened is a game that the soldiers would play, wherein they would write their names on pieces of parchment or wood or stone, and they would drop their names, the pieces that had their names on, in some form of container. Now, because the Roman soldiers who had crucified Jesus, they were remotely located, it's very possible that one of them pulled off his helmet, held it out, and the other soldiers put their names in there. So it's on a raffle. And so Vatadile, Raffle or Fafi or Mochaina, or whatever you call it. And they pulled out a name. And the name that was pulled out, when they read it out, that's the one who was able to take the garment. It's remarkable that all this is taking place. And Jesus is pushing himself up and down, huge nails lost in his feet, gasping for breath soaking in blood, a sagging back in, in, in a hanging position, and his strength draining away from him. 
as a, as a consequence of man's sin. And these soldiers are playing a game. And it was their responsibility to keep things in order. The Bible says they watched him. They were sitting there. They were watching him. In other words, they were keeping watch to make sure that no one came to his rescue. As they cast lots and played games, the soldiers were keeping watch from the corners of their eyes to make sure that no one touched this Jesus who was hanging on the cross. And, it was, and, and as, as they did all of this, Jesus was dying on the cross. Now let me bring this to some conclusion. I wanted to talk about this because today, like I've done, we wear these beautiful crosses as a way to adorn ourselves. Women wear them as earrings. Hip-hop artists adorn themselves. We see these crosses dangling at the bottom of gold chains and necklaces. People make tattoos of the cross. And the reason this is so important for us to bring it out is because we have made the cross beautiful. We've beautified the cross. We have made it to be pleasing to the eyes to look upon. And people have forgotten that it wasn't beautiful. The cross wasn't lavishly decorated at all. In fact, the cross of Jesus was shocking. Even as I've described the details in a very synoptic manner. It's very difficult to listen to them. Jesus hanging on the cross, totally naked, flaunted over there, humiliated all before the world to watch. His flesh ripped to shreds. His body bruised from head to toe. Heaving. His body going up and down. Breathing his last. His nervous system sent in a constant signal of excruciating pain. Jesus drenched in blood. Face streaming with blood. His feet streaming with blood. Countless cuts. Gaping wounds. The scars that had left. The scars that had torn his body away. In reality, the cross of Jesus was disgusting. It was repulsive. It was stomach-turning. It was not good to the eyes. Not so attractive. But it was in that that Paul says, if the princes of this world knew what they were doing, in that gruesomeness was hidden something that God was doing. Gruesome as it seemed, God had a purpose in it. Because the cross has a mystery. When Satan thought he's destroying the plan of God, he's taking this prophet away from the face of the earth. When Satan thought, I'm frustrating God's mission, I'm stopping this man in his tracks. In that gruesome death, in that death of the cross, hid the mystery. The mystery of forgiveness that is possible. It is because of that cross that we can be forgiven today. It is because of that cross that our sins can be washed away. It is because of that cross, secondly, that nearness to God has been made possible. We who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is through that cross that God took a stamp of reconciliation and God is shouting to the world, you have seen my intentions. I want you to be reconciled to me. 
It is because of that cross that we are delivered from a spirit of condemnation. Satan can never hold us hostage. Condemnation can never hold us hostage. It doesn't matter how much wrong we've done. It doesn't matter how many wrong things we have done. There is forgiveness in the blood of Jesus and there is freedom from condemnation. We can approach the throne of God without a sense of guilt, without a sense of shame and God says come boldly into the throne room of grace. All because of the cross. All because of the cross. Because of the cross, freedom is possible. Freedom from sin. Freedom from addiction. Freedom from evil things. Freedom from doing things that are wrong. Freedom from demonic powers. Freedom from powers of darkness. All because of that cross. We call on the cross. We speak the cross. We believe in the cross. We stand on the cross. And we are delivered because of the cross. Through the cross there is freedom from the power of sin. The cross is able to break the power of sin. It's the cross that is able to set us free and make us worship a holy God and all because of the cross. And what Satan thought, it was the end of God's plan. It was the beginning of freedom. We've all gathered together this morning because of the cross. And if you believe that, give the Lord a big shout and a big amen in the house. Because that's why we are here. We have gathered because of the cross. And this is what this day is about as we commemorate it. It's not about our churches. It's not about us. It's about the cross. Of Jesus Christ. The cross that has been freely made available to every one of us. And now Jesus says, come to me, all you who are heavily laden. Says, I will give you, come to me. How, how it's about Obaiza, come to me. How it's about come to me. Jesus says, come to me if you feel society has thrown you aside. Come to me. Come to me when you see your life and you can't get free of anything. Come to me. Come to me when you feel like life doesn't make sense anymore. Come to me when you feel like you are burdened. Come to me. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus did it all for you. And I want to offer you an opportunity this morning. To come to him just as you are. As the one who can change you, transform you, wash you with his blood, make you to be a child of God. It is your choice today. As the cross and the mystery of the cross is presented to you, all you need to do is to receive by faith what God has done on the cross of Calvary. Shall we bow our heads together as we pray? Thank you, Jesus. Our heads bowed, our eyes closed, please. Think about what Jesus has done for you. Sometimes we walk away from him. And because we don't fully understand what he did, we don't understand the value of who he is. 
And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to ask you, would you invite Christ into your life? Savior and Lord of your life. Right where you are. You don't need to pay a cent. You don't need to try and work for it in your strength. You simply need to invite Christ into your life. If you are here today and you say, would you pray for me? I want to invite Jesus Christ into my heart. My life is not right before God, but I see Jesus suffered on the cross for me. Today I'm willing to receive him as my Savior and my Lord. That God should change me and make me his child. Our heads bowed, our eyes closed. If that is you and you need the prayer, would you raise your hand right where you are? Just raise it high. Let me see it. Thank you for those hands. All over the place. That's right. Raise it high. I raise my hands today because I know God wants to change my life. All the way back in the foyer, people who are in other regions, you're live streaming in that building, raise your hand as well. People on Facebook, people on our website, everybody on social media as well. People in the youth hall, in the foyer, room one to four. If you want Jesus, raise your hand. That's right. Can I ask the people who raise their hands? I want to pray with you. Would you kindly please stand on your feet right where you are? I want to pray with you. Would you please just stand on your feet? You raised your hand. Just stand on your feet. That's right. That's right. You can put your hands down. Just remain standing on your feet. Even the people right at the back, just stand on your feet all over the place. All over the place. Now, you know, I know. I know. This is a difficult call, right? I ask you to raise your hand and I ask you to stand publicly. It's a difficult call. But remember when Jesus died, he died publicly. In this instance, nobody was clapping for him. It was a horrific death. He wasn't ashamed to die for you publicly. And don't be ashamed to acknowledge him publicly. Maybe you are still seated. You know you should have raised your hand, but you didn't raise your hand. But you want to join these people who are standing. Go ahead and stand right now. Just join them. Just stand. Just stand. Just stand right where you are. That's right. That's right, lady. God bless you. Just stand right where you are. Just stand. Don't be ashamed. Don't worry what people will say. Jesus was not ashamed. He didn't worry what people were going to say. God bless you there. Thank you. Just stand right where you are. Just stand on your feet. Stand on your feet. That's right. Listen. Listen. You see, it's important for people to understand. And I know I'm taking a while. But it's important for you to understand. It's a free gift that Jesus offers. If you've brought somebody who's with you, a friend, a neighbor, whoever, family member, and you know that they would love to stand, and you know they want to respond, just tell them, look, I'll stand with you. I'll stand with you. And you just go ahead and stand with them. Just tell them, look, if you want to stand, just stand with them. Yeah. God bless you. God bless you, young man. That's good. Bless you there. That's right. Come on. All over the place. Thank you. All over the place. Everywhere. There you are. They're right there. That's right. Just stand with them. Don't, don't be ashamed. Stand with them. There you are. Right there. That's what we do. That's what we do. Stand with them. Stand with them. They will thank you. They will thank you one day. They will thank you one day. It's an important thing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Now this is what I want to do. I want to pray with every one of you, all right? Even those of you who are standing with your friend, your neighbor, whoever you are standing with, I'm going to invite all of you, right, to come right from where you are and just come stand right in front here as we pray together. Just come. Even from the fire, even people in the youth hall, come, let's sing it together. Bless the Lord. <laughs>